Um, but as uh, um, Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so they continue to uh, preach and, and heal in Jesus' name, and the church continues to grow. Um, in chapter 5, we see the first kind of um, place of dissension within the church with Ananias and Sapphira trying to deceive the, the, the church and ultimately deceive God um, by lying uh, about this gift and, and uh, the word that's used um, of their actions. Literally, we would translate it probably best fraud. Uh, they're trying to defraud the church, um, which leads to their immediate uh, death. Um, uh, and also in chapter 5, we saw the second arrest of the apostles. This time, uh, they're, they're again warned not to teach and preach in this name, and now uh, they're um, beaten to go alongside. They're scourged uh, and not just warned. Um, as the church continues to grow uh, in response to the gift of the Spirit and the proclamation of the Word, um, the apostles' workload um, uh, uh, grows, and so you have a need in chapter 6 to, to add others to this ministry. So we saw at the beginning of chapter 6 the choosing of these seven men, um, particularly to minister to the needs of the Hellenistic uh, believers. One of those seven was Stephen. We see Stephen ministering to other Hellenists or, or Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, uh, he gets in a controversy with the Greek-speaking synagogue uh, that leads to his arrest. Um, and then last time when we met, we saw Stephen's defense, which isn't necessarily answering the charges that were uh, posed against him, that he was blaspheming uh, against the holy place and the law. But instead, he gives this really long sermon describing the relationship of believers to this long history um, of Judaism, going all the way back to the patriarchs. Um, and one of the themes is just as um, uh, Jews in the past had failed to listen to the prophets, they had rejected Moses, um, uh, that so too, um, people had rejected God's true messenger, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and they killed those, uh, this is in uh, chapter 7, um, verse uh, 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand 
the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he turns the charge that they had made against him back upon them, that they're the ones who um, were committing blasphemy by rejecting uh, God's true sent one, and they're the ones who had violated the law. Stephen was then stoned, um, as we saw, and you know, he's calling out, Lord, receive my spirit. Um, and that brings us to where we are in chapter 8. So let me read chapter 8 for us, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we can talk about it. So let's hear the word of God. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame or healed, so there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, because he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages, of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Bazadus. As, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thus far, God's holy word, just ask him to open it in our hearts and minds as we discuss it together this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you praise and glory for your mighty work both in creation and in redemption, um, that your gospel message has gone forth. It started in a small place amongst an obscure people, but through uh, your faithful servants, it spread to all people, to the ends of the earth, that the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be proclaimed among all people and that we are witnesses to it, and that we share in this mission of proclaiming your gospel as we speak and talk to others. Lord God, instruct us as we see the growth of your church and the activities of these early believers, that even though they're scattered and dispersed because of great persecution, that they do not cease to obey you rather than them, and that they continue to faithfully proclaim your name, even amongst people who might be considered despised, people who might be cut off because of who they are from uh, worship in the Jewish temple, but that you have brought them near by the sacrifice of your son, that you uh, have knitted them together into this community of believers just as you've knitted us together, uh, not as individuals, but as members of one body. Lord God, instruct us by your spirit. Fill us with your spirit that we might devote ourselves to your word so that we might be faithful in proclaiming it in word and deed to the world around us. And we ask these things in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so there are three basic uh, sections, one really short one and then two longer. Um, so let's just start with these first three verses, which are a transition. They finish up the story of Stephen um, and the aftermath of his um, execution, and then transition into the activities of another one of those seven men who had been set apart back in chapter 6. Now looking at the activities of Philip, um, first in Samaria and then um, in the south uh, along the Gaza Strip and the coastline. Um, so looking at, uh, so those first three verses are a transition. Um, so what strikes you about this brief description of the shifting context of the gospel spread? Up to this point, we've been in Jerusalem, and now we're going to start seeing that gospel go forth to other places in Judea, other places in Samaria. And as that um, kind of theme verse back in chapter 1 emphasizes that in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and then in future chapters we'll get to the ends of the earth. Um, so, but this is an important transition section. So what strikes you about um, these first three verses? What's going on here? Come here, Ron. Yep. 
Yeah, and notice this is the first word, time the word persecution shows up in the book of Acts. Uh, and there arose that day, and it's not just a persecution, it's a great persecution. So notice how um, you know, the, es- the escalation of the opposition. You know, it started off, they arrested Peter and John and gave them a warning and let them go. Um, and next time, they arrested them and beat them and warned them, but let them go. <laughs> um, and then we, when we see Stephen, he's arrested and then he's, he's basically lynched by this mob after he proclaims. So we, we kind of have an ex- escalation. And now, you know, with great persecution, the picture we're given here is an actively or an active seeking out of believers in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. So they're no longer like if Stephen was a response to uh, false accusations and things he had been publicly proclaiming. Now they're going after believers in their homes. So um, it's an intensification of the opposition to uh, the early church. That leads to it being scattered, and the word there is the root of what we get for diaspora. Um, you know, it's that scattering. It's now the church becomes diasporic. It becomes the one that's dispersed. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, so in this case, Stephen's death, which, um, you know, he he dies for his faithfulness. Um, He dies, um, even prayed, uh, you know, for the people who are killing him. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know, what a a horrid, horrid event. And yet it becomes opportunity for the gospel spread. Uh, Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bill, that um, events, that um, that we might not understand in our human terms. Why did this happen? Like here, we, you know, we, as we saw in our portrait of, or the portrait Luke gives of Stephen, an extremely talented uh, man, um, extremely gifted, um, and yet he's cut short. His life is cut short. Um, and even though that stops his ability to proclaim the gospel, it doesn't stop the gospel being proclaimed. Yeah, to not, um, yeah, to not, like, give up, <laughs> to persevere, to, to continue to be faithful even in the midst of hardship. And that's what we see uh, as we'll move into Philip in a little bit. Like, you know, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. What a great picture um, that even though they're being driven from their homes, like, and, you know, they're going into people's homes and driving them out, you know, arresting them. People are fleeing. Um, they are literally refugees. And yet, rather than wallow in their circumstances, they preach the gospel wherever they're going to be found. Yeah, that the Lord is, and um, you know that the book it should really be called the Acts of God, <laughs> because it's God acting 
the apostles are an important part of that. But here we start seeing how that gospel goes forth. And we saw it with Stephen, a non-apostle proclaiming the gospel. Philip, a non-apostle proclaiming the gospel. Taking it to people, um, not just in the center in Jerusalem, but that they're being active apart from the presence of the apostles. And the apostles show up in, in our chapter here, um, and, and Peter plays an important role. But he goes back. <laughs> like he comes to, in a sense, um, well, yeah, in a sense to authenticate the spread of the gospel to the Samaritans. Um, but then he returns, and that gospel continues to spread throughout Samaria, and then it goes to Caesarea. And then in the next chapter, when we see the conversion of Paul, the apostles aren't playing a role in Paul's conversion. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. That, And the other thing I like about uh, um, that is um, this idea that there are other devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. That um, you know that word lamentation there is the public rite of mourning. So if somebody's stoned, normally they can get buried, but you can't mourn them. And so it's you know they're not um, they're staying um, and they're not um, hiding. Um, they are still doing the kinds of things that they have been doing that's gotten them into trouble. Like they're still um, proclaiming Jesus, listening to the um, following God's direction rather than acting out of fear or the commands of men. So here they're mourning someone who they're not supposed to publicly mourn, which testifies to their belief that Stephen was a righteous in the face of the people who didn't like him. Yeah. Um, and that's a great, yeah. Um, and that, and we'll see later on, they go after, you know, they'll start going after the apostles. So, yeah, there have been lots of people that are kind of like, you know, why is this? Um, is it because the apostles are, like earlier we saw them not, you know, not doing something against the apostles out of fear of the crowd. You know, they're clearly, they clearly, um, when they heard this, they were raged and wanted to kill them, but, um, they're afraid of the people. Um, so it could be the fear of the people. It could be that the Jewish leaders are changing tactics and like, all right, going after the leaders didn't work. We killed Stephen and and they're publicly mourning like that didn't do anything. So maybe we need to go after um, the rank and file. Um, yeah, so it's, it, if it's, it's either a change of tactic on their part or it's, um, a continuation of they, the apostles still have a great deal of popularity that the um, council fears. Those are the usually the kind of two ways people uh, look at that. All right, well let's move on to this uh, next section because um, this is just the transition. So um, what's significant about Philip's ministry in Samaria? Um, so as we look at this account, and we'll, 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 we'll cordon off Simon the Magician for just a little bit. <laughs> so let's focus on what strikes you about the gospel going forth in Samaria, and then we can come back to, to this um, story of this particular individual. But, um, but as you look at verses um, 4 to 25, um, what's noteworthy about this gospel, Philip's? ministry in uh, Samaria. Yeah, Rob. In what way? Um, all right. So let's see. Yeah, so they don't have, he preached the good news, they're baptized, 
he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. So it doesn't say what if they were baptized in the Trinity or not. But it's incomplete in the sense that, um, and what's unusual about this story is um, when we see people elsewhere in the book of Acts believe and are baptized, they receive the Spirit at that moment. Like Belief and the coming of the Spirit are, are linked together. In, in this case, it's a two-stage process. So Philip preaches to them, they believe and baptize, but they don't receive the Spirit until Peter comes to Jerusalem. So, um, and because it's kind of exceptional, it, you know, I think it's exceptional makes us think why that is. So why is there this pause in between? Like when it comes to the Gentiles um, in a couple of chapters, in chapter 10, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So like the next time we see the Spirit being poured out in this way, um, it's coming just like it did in chapter 2. The people are hearing, they're believing, they're bat being baptized, and they're receiving the Spirit all together, whereas with Philip, yeah, there's this two-phase, two-step process. So why is that? Uh, hmm? Yeah, I don't know that it, I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a knock against Philip. So uh, I don't think it's a critique of his, his, his ministry. So I don't think it's something incomplete in what Philip's doing. But I think it's a way of God calling attention um, uh, to the significance of this moment. Like, I mean, let's, let's you know, think about what this moment is. Like, we've seen people receive the gospel thus far, and thus far they've either been Jewish, like ethnic Jews, or they've been Greek converts to Judaism. But so far the gospel has been received by other people who were previously Jewish. Now we're seeing, for the first time, the mass response to a group of people who are close to Judaism, like they're related, but the Samaritans, so they're, but they're not full, fully Jewish and they're not fully Gentile. It's kind of these people stuck between. And, you know, and think about the reputation of Samaritans um, in, you know, in the Bible, like, you know, there's a reason Jesus constantly uses them at, you know, when he needs, like, the despised character. It, you know, it's a Samaritan. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the Samaritan, um, uh, one rabbi from the period equated eating with a Samaritan to eating pork. Um, like, they are a corrupting presence. They're compromisers. They're people of... Um, mixed ancestry, so there's this kind of their defective half-breeds. Um, they're um, syncretic. You know, they've blended Judaism with other beliefs, and Simon is a good example. Uh, you know, again, we'll come back to Simon in a little bit, but in some sense, he's a good example of, of Samaritans. Like, he can talk about God, the grace, um, but also practice magic. So, and that's, that kind of fits the picture people have of Samaritans. Um, so, you know, so one reason maybe that there's a pause and there needs to be this kind of apostolic presence is because this is an enormous moment. The gospel is going to be received by people who are not fully Jewish. Um, and, you know, for those believers elsewhere, um, and we'll see this more clearly with Gentiles, like there's a barrier to get over in, in accepting <laughs> that, oh, the gospel's for them too. Um, you know, that, oh, you know, that, that they can receive the spirit as well as us. Um, that there needs to be a presence, an apostolic presence at this moment to kind of witness and authenticate that yes, the gospel goes forth even for despised Samaritans. 
Yeah. <laughs> but still, think if, you, if you've had a lifetime of despising like a group of people, and even if you're told that you have to go, like you still have to overcome like all those kind of, you know, enculturated attitudes um, that, you know, that, yeah, that there needs to be, and, and we'll see this again with, uh, with the Gentiles later on. You see these kind of major punctuating moments of the Spirit after Pentecost, like making a dramatic appearance when the gospel reaches a, a new specific people for the first time. Like there just needs to be this public, visible, um, yes, this is truly a work of God because the same Spirit that fell upon us and empowers us is falling upon them. So I think um, I think some of it is just human nature. Like God needs to punctuate, <laughs> um, visibly punctuate how the, that the gospel is really for these people. Like it's one thing to believe it conceptually; it's another thing to actually do it, experience, live it, incorporate them into one body. Like again, like it's one thing to go to Samaria and preach to to Samaritans. And then kind of like, <laughs> okay, y'all do your thing over here. It's another thing to incorporate them into um, this body that has its center in Jerusalem. Like this is making, by the apostles coming out here and showing up, it's an establishing a link between these believers in Samaria and that church in Jerusalem, that they are part of one body. They're not, it's not going to be separate groups. They're part of, of one um, one common community of believers. One church. Other things about uh, the Samaritans before we talk about this guy, Simon. Um, but, it, but you're absolutely right, Rob. It's, it's, it's very um, unusual um, that there's this two-step process in what we see happening simultaneously in other places in Acts. Um, and so we can ask why that is. So is it some kind of deficiency in, in Philip? Is that there needs to be an apostle for the Spirit to come? Because when we do see the Spirit come in these public ways, an apostle is always present. Um, the Spirit works outside the apostles. But when we see this kind of, again, very public, widespread bestowal of the Spirit and acts an apostle present. Yeah, Chris. We want our pigs back. <laughs> They believe Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God. Yeah, they're believing. It's not just um, they're responding to the signs. Um, and there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of similar language, like to describing how Simon, what the thing Simon was doing, like you know, this idea that um, you know he's amazing the people, like that same word for amaze, you know, shows up with their reactions to to the apostles, like so you know Simon was amazing them, and now somebody more amazing has come along than Simon, but um, so it's just like yeah. There's a real change here, though. Like they, you know, they've gone from, as you said, with the pigs being concerned about their material well-being over faithfulness, um, to now that there's this real joy in the presence of the kingdom of God in their midst. Um, that they're believing and responding not to magic, but to the substantive work uh, and message working in their hearts, that there's real change. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, so that's a, let's, let's transition to that. So what do we make of this guy, Simon Magus, or, I mean, it's, it's not really a name, it's more of a title, Simon the Magician. Um, so... Yeah, what do we do with this guy, Simon, who, as Rob says, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And yet later on, we see, you know, Peter um, repent, therefore, uh, or you've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be given. So what do we do with this guy, Simon? Uh, yeah, that he's made an he, a, uh, outward profession of belief and been baptized, and yet again, there, this is, there are lots of, I can't go into the entire depth of <laughs> how much has been written <laughs> about whether he's a believer whether he's a defective believer, whether he's not a believer. Um, yeah, there are so many poor trees have suffered <laughs> because of Simon. Um, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it, but it, we, again, this, it's a, another episode like Ananias and Sapphira of people who have joined the community, yet whose hearts... Um, uh, you know, they're doing outward things, but their hearts don't seem to have been transformed by the message in the same way by the people around them. Like they're becoming part of this community for a different set of reasons. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and there's actually a tradition that, um, again, we don't have to go too far in this. Like, he keeps showing up in a lot of early Christian literature um, and all kinds of you know, extra-biblical stories about Simon. Um, but some attribute to him um, uh, this kind of syncretic tendency to blend Christianity with other religious practices. So, like, you know, some of them say, he was the first Gnostic, um, you know. Um, so, you know, there's this whole tradition that he's the he's the guy um, who's responsible for corruption. I don't think that's Luke's point. Um, I think Luke's point is is getting us to think about, yeah, what is at the heart of responding to the gospel message, and what what's really important is it the ability to do these great works. You know, that word great keeps showing up. You know, 
you know, he was already doing these amazing things, and now people come along that do something even ma- more amazing, and yeah, is this just his old self? Well, I want to be able to do that too, and so I'll pay <laughs> for you to teach me how to do it. Um, you, you know, I, I've decided, like, or I'm trying to decide, is it a good thing to have your name made into a word <laughs> or not? Uh, so Simon's where we get the word English word simony uh, when you try to buy office. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, um, do I want to make the OED one day? No. Um, what what? Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> to to seed something that's probably that sounds very bad. Um, but yeah, you know, there. Yeah, how much does he get? How much does he understand? Is he responding truly from his heart? Is he fully repentant? Because um, with that last verse, some people are like, well, he's not doing what Peter told him to do. Peter tells him, um, you know, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And he says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. It's like, you know, is this the prayer of repentance or is this the prayer to don't let the penalty <laughs> fall upon me? <laughs> like, um, again, I don't want to go into all the trees that have died for this, but, but, but that's where people wrestle. Like, is it how much of it? And I don't think we can settle that question, but I, I think we can ask ourselves, why is Luke focusing so much on this guy? It's not the point. Um, yeah, the point isn't, uh, isn't, I don't, yeah, I don't think the point is, um, is about whether he's truly converted or not. Like, and we're going to follow, what follows Simon's story are stories of individual conversions, which, again, an interesting transition moment. Like, prior to this, we focused on mass conversions, and now we're going to get individuals, um, this Ethiopian. Paul, Cornelius, like, um, so, you know, we're going to see pictures of what a true conversion looks like, um, and it's going to be very clear that's the purpose to serve someone, how someone, the gospel changes somebody, um, whereas this guy, yeah, it, the story is incomplete, like, we don't, he could have, like, we don't know if he repented and believed um, he does the things Peter said. Because that's not Luke's point. Uh, he wants to focus on something else. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, to contrast the true work of the Spirit working through Philip, working through the apostles against the outward show that Simon's been doing. Um, yeah, uh, to contrast a true work of God versus these pseudo works that are being proclaimed in God's name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know that trick. Um, and the the word, um, he knew, yes, he, he knew there was real power in it. Um, uh, one, one person, I, yeah, he's, he's amazed. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he's amazed. And he continued with Philip. Um, one person described it like the way you would follow around a rock star. Like, <laughs> um, you know, that's the, you know, he continued with Philip. And, yeah, he wants to be able to do this. Um, and it's interesting, uh, or the response of, you know, the, the, the emphasis is on Peter's response. You know, may your silver perish with you, 
because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. This is like, you know, the, the gift of the Spirit is God's gift. Um, you know, but God will give it to you. Like, you know, it's it's a you know, I, I love that that the word uses there. Like you can't buy it because it's the gift of God. And like you have to understand it's the gift of God to receive it, um, to possess it in this way. And if you think you can buy it to use to for your self aggrandizement, and again to sort of think of the contrast between Simon and Philip. Simon is is doing these things to make Simon great. You know, like you know, this uh, you know he's going around um, saying uh, that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, "This man is the power of God." That is called great. And Philip and Peter throughout uh, you know throughout the book of the apostles. Every time they do something, they're not saying, I did a great work. They're pointing to Jesus. Um, They're not doing great things to self-aggrandize. They're doing great things to witness to Jesus Christ and to proclaim his message. To not do it for selfish purposes, but to do it for the sake of the kingdom. All right, we've got uh, about ten minutes. So I do want to talk about the second part of this stories about Philip. So, you know, and again, to kind of think of geographically, so Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem, um, Gaza is to the south, um, and south and west. So, um, you know, we're, we're changing geography here. So Philip goes because, you know, based on the instruction of the Lord, you know, he's gone um, from the north, where he's ministering to an entire group of people, the Samaritans, and now he's being sent south um, for the conversion of one person. Um, so what do we, yeah, why this focus on the conversion of this individual Ethiopian Okay, so he can stand in, and, and, and you know, if he, he is the stand-in for the whole country, um, Ethiopia is about as far south as their knowledge of Africa goes. So if we're thinking in ends of the earth, like from the ends of the earth, um, so the southernmost end of the earth, in their perspective, is Ethiopia. Like everything beyond that is. <laughs> uh, is there anything beyond that? Like. You know, you know, it's a thousand miles away to their south. Um, it's going to take this guy weeks to go from Jerusalem to his home. Um, so yeah, so he's not just an individual. Maybe he stands in for um, people who live at the ends of the earth. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, so here's another person who is looked down upon, another person who's cut off from the full worship of, of God, you know, full temple worship. He cannot participate in the, the gathered assembly um, for worship because he is a eunuch. Um, so, and I think that's part of the reason they're, you know, these stories are paired together. Like here we have another person who would not be able to worship God as a Jew, um, in this case, not because he's a Samaritan, but because he's a union. Um, but he is, um, he's made a believer by the word of God. He can be part of the community of believers.
some things can't be undone. <laughs> yeah, that's where you're going there. <laughs> He's literally cut off. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it's part of like because Isaiah um, in, in Isaiah 56 actually includes eunuchs in his vision of the you know the eschaton that you'll have many sons and like you who can't have sons and daughters will have many sons and daughters and you will be part of the community. So it's it's also um, you know a, a sense of that fulfilling of these promises that these people who are permanently cut off can be grafted in. Yeah, the power of the Spirit to knit people together who otherwise would be cut off from one another. I mean, that's that's the picture that's being presented. People who are normally would be separated are made part of one family, um, to use your word, um, part of one body through the work of the Spirit in their hearts, um, you know, causing belief causing them to be baptized and to make an outward profession of faith and join this visible community of believers. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, so to be treasurer, he's powerful. He's probably treasurer because he's eunuch. Like, you know, uh, eunuchs are viewed as trustworthy in in regards to money because you're not stealing things for your family because you don't have a family and, and can't have one. So, so therefore, you know, uh, your, your heritage or hope is in your employer. Um, and so eunuchs are, are in positions of authority. And he has at least enough wealth to be traveling by chariot. To have a scroll, is an, you know, to have a scroll of the book of Isaiah is another sign that he's not you know, just some Joe Schmo, that he's, he's somebody um, with a degree of wealth, power, and authority that's going to make him an influential personage um, when he gets back to his country. Yeah, Becky. Yeah, he's part of this diaspora that the chapter started off with. Like, and it's so it's it's not just going to Judea and Samaria as you know this kind of the ripple effect uh, again. Like, as the gospel touches more and more lives, it's going to touch more and more lives. Um, and the stories, I mean, like the next story of conversion we'll get next week is Saul you know, becoming Paul, and you know, it clearly is going to have an enormous spreading the gospel in all kinds of places. Um, Cornelius, um, not just an individual, but you know, through Cornelius, the gospel is going to break out to, to him. It's going to be the first, he's the first of, of countless numbers of Gentiles who are going to be brought in to this Christian community. Other things about uh, our, our eunuch friend here? 
Uh, yeah, so yeah, because so what Rob's losing to uni units were in charge of harem, because uh, you can trust the guy with your wife, so why would you want to lose to him? Um, it is because it's, yeah, they're, trust, they're, they're viewed as trustworthy in, in multiple ways that we don't know. They, they're not connected to their own sense of, you know, they won't be tempted by doing things for their project because they won't have the trust. <laughs> it's like the way like I often say, I'll do things for my kids, but I would never do them for myself. It's like, oh, okay, I'll go the extra mile and do that for you, for, for you. So you can kind of see how that works in human nature, that we're often like not just looking out for ourselves, but our legacy is our kids. Um, and if you don't have a legacy and your kids, are <laughs> then you're probably going to be less trusted to, to do things for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to, yeah, we don't know exactly what his circumstances are back in Jerusalem, but he's going back, and he has been in Jerusalem, and now he's going back, and now he's going back, a changed person, you know, see here is water, what prevents me from being baptized, and I think that's the great, you know, that's the great question he asks, nothing, <laughs> you know, you're a eunuch, you can still be baptized, you're an Ethiopian, you can still be baptized. Um, you know, nothing prevents him from being baptized by Philip here. Anything else about this uh, final story about Philip? Philip's going to disappear for a while. He'll pop back up later in the book. But um, we got these nice little, it's called the Philip cycle uh, in, in chapter 8. Yeah, Rob. Yeah. I, he's not looking at this as uh, an opportunity to aggrandize himself. Um, he's, he's looking at it as, you know, um, you know he's, he's responding in belief. Um, and he goes on his way rejoicing. Um, you know, true joy is going to carry forward with him. Um, and uh, wouldn't it be nice, like, the Lord carried Philip away, like, all right, I need you somewhere else now. <laughs> no need for missionaries to get plane tickets. Just whisk them away by the Spirit. Um, that same word is used uh, uh, when, when Paul said he's, he's caught up to heaven, to the third heaven. That same word is used here. When believers are caught up in the air and they're with Christ, the same word is used here of what happens there. Um, so it's that kind of, of image. But he's going somewhere that's going to become important. Um, he's preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And we're going to see Caesarea um, in a couple of chapters from now. And that's going to be the point in which the gospel breaks through the next barrier. So we've gotten through the, the Samaritans and, and Ethiopian eunuchs. But we haven't made yet that big step to full-blown Gentiles. It's coming. <laughs> but again, this kind of ripple is, you know, the Holy Spirit has fallen on Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and we're moving to those ends of the earth. Um, and we're getting a little taste of that ends of the earth with this Ethiopian eunuch um, and this hint of what's to come, not just with the mention of Saul at the beginning of this chapter, but with this hint of Caesarea at the end. All right, so let me close our time. Gracious God, we do thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit, how it um, has come upon us in our belief in you and unites us uh, one to another, making us part of one community, um, despite our ethnic or um, linguistic background, despite our social class, um, whether we are people um, who are in position of honor or we're people who are despised, that we're all made one in Jesus Christ, that you 
as a major church, uh, one body of believers from a host of people of all the ages, and that your gospel continues to go forth even now. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful bearers of that spirit, faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would proclaim it in word and deed, and that we would continue to proclaim it even in the face of uh, mounting opposition to that word. Help us be like this church, that even when as opposition grows, they continue to use the opportunities they're given to faithfully proclaim your name and that your gospel would go forth to the ends of the earth. Help us now share the same joy that the Samaritans and the Ethiopian eunuch had by receiving the gospel and being able to worship you in spirit and truth, even as we worship Jesus from afar. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.